Siyoto Ofa, and welcome to the final three episodes of the Tokyo Kamiya podcast. Let's end 2022 with a bang. This is your host, Richard. Thank you so much for all your, your patience and your long suffering, all your support. I didn't realize that I had such a following, and so I am just,、uh, again, thankful and grateful. And with that said, let's、uh, just put some closure to this epic saga of the William Mariner story. So, of course, it's obvious that he survives his、um, ordeal in Tonga. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this uh, account, um, which we, you know, has been the source material for this podcast. And so, I, for one, am very grateful.、Um, and again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast series,、uh, this is one of my favorite、um, books. Uh, in regards to Tongan history. So, what does a Vava'u post Ulukalala look like? Well, let's find out. This is episode 20 of the Tokyo Kamea podcast. Episode, we find out that Fina Ulukalala's son, Moingangongo, takes his place after he passes away. And if you've forgotten, I apologize because I just noticed that the last episode was in September of 2021. I know, I'm terrible. I suck for leaving you all hanging like that, and I completely、um, take ownership of that. And、uh, so I'm just going to make it up to you. So, if you remember from earlier episodes, Fina Ulukalala's son, Moingangongo, was largely absent at the beginning of Mariner's account because he wasn't present in Vava'u at the time. He accompanied a highly ranked chief by the name of Vuna to Samoa. And so we talked about this in earlier episodes. Vuna self exiled to Samoa after it was apparent that Ulukalala was coming for Vava'u、um, after the assassination of Tuku'aho. Uh, and in his quest to unify all of Tonga under his control. Now, Vuna has an interesting backstory, which I won't go into too much here because、um, that would be like a whole other show, a whole other episode,、uh, maybe three or four. But、uh, Vuna, this is the third Vuna. He comes from a succession of different Vunas throughout time. His earlier predecessors were involved in that civil war over the Tuikanokbolu title. Which involved、uh, Tupo Moheofo, which we talked about in a previous episode. And so he was a part of all that mess. And so was Fina Ulukalala's father. And so there was a little beef there because、um, at the time, and this is prior to Mariner arriving in Tonga, there was that whole、um, struggle for、uh, the succession of the Tukanokbolu line. And so Tukuaho was involved.、Um, Tupo Moheofo was involved.、Uh, she was actually trying to install. Her,、uh, herself as the Tuikanokbolu.、Um, and again, that's a whole other story.、Um, fascinating story. But、uh, how it connects to this storyline is that Fina Ulukalala's father, which they just call him Fina Ulukalala I or Fina Ulukalala i Maufanga, supported、uh, Tuku Aho、um, in this 
uh, battle for succession of the Tuikanokpolu line. And, and he did so with an ulterior motive. He supported Tuku'aho because he hoped in return he would be rewarded with uh, the governorship of Vava'u and become the Tu'i Vava'u. And so Tuku'aho promised him this, and so he gave Tuku'aho his support. And Tuku'aho instead gave the, the governorship of Vava'u to an earlier Vuna. And so this beef carried on to um, the Vunas that, you know, succeeded that title. And so, and likewise, Mariner's uh, Finau Ulukalala, the, the central figure in this story, besides Mariner, he also took on that beef from his father and kept it going. And so instead of contesting um, the hot-headed Fina Ulukalala who was coming from Vava'u, uh, Vuna instead decided to flee to Samoa and took with him uh, Moengangongo. Interestingly, according to Phyllis Herda's thesis, The Transformation of the Traditional Tongan Polity, a genealogical consideration of Donga's past, Ulukalala's mother, Ulukilupetea, was at one time a consort to Vuna, which was one of the reasons uh, Vuna conceded power instead of fighting a war over Vava'u. At least, that's what it appeared like in public, but uh, secretly, Vuna was waging uh, secret raids on the Ulukalala camp and only conceded and self-exiled after it was apparent that it was futile and that um, he was eventually just going to lose uh, Vava'u to Ulukalala. And so, and so this relationship between uh, Ulukilupetea and Vuna could explain why Finau's own son, Moengangongo, would um, take Vuna's side and flee with him to Samoa. And if you remember from earlier episodes, uh, once Ulukalala established himself in Vava'u, Vuna and Moengangongo returned from Samoa to aid him in his quest for power and to unify all of Donga. So let's pick up the story from this point. So shortly after Ulukalala's burial, the uh, principal chiefs and the matapules of Vava'u convey to Moengangongo, who Mariner refers now in the book as the prince, that Vuna and his people should leave and depart to to Hapai. Basically, uh, thank you, Vuna, and now it's time for you to go. And this was a matter of political strategy, uh, just to ensure that Moengangongo uh, as the new Finau, um, that he could become a, uh, a ruler without any kind of interference. And Vuna um, was socially and politically too powerful and so he had to be removed. From the book, Mariner says, the prince apologized for this step, urging the wish of his people as his sole motive, and expressed with great warmth his wish that he who had been so long his friend and companion would still remain his associate. A kava ceremony was held the following day, and in this ceremony, the Pongipongi Hingoa, Moengangongo would be called Finau by the chiefs of Vava'u for the first time when the names of those receiving the kava cup were called out. Mariner says, After the kava was prepared and the first two cups handed out, the third, which according to custom, is presented to the chief who presides, was next filled. And when an attendant, as usual, declared aloud that the cup was filled, all eyes were fixed on the prince, while the matapule who sat next to him exclaimed, Give it to Finau and it was accordingly handed to him while he assumed an appearance of perfect unconcern at the name by which for the first time he is called. As soon as all the kava was served out and drunk, the newly named Finau addressed the people. Listen to me, chiefs and warriors, if any among you are discontented with the way in which we sit here, now is the time to go to Hapai, for no man shall remain at Vava'u with a mind discontented and wandering to other places. I have seen with sorrow the wide destruction occasioned by the unceasing war carried on by the chiefs now lying in the Malae. And what is the result? The land is depopulated, it is overgrown with weeds, and there is nobody to cultivate it. The principal chiefs and warriors have fallen, and we must be content with the society of the lower class. What madness! Is not life already too short? Would not a man's time be better employed in increasing his pleasures and happiness? What folly then to seek for war, to shorten that which is already too short? Who is there amongst us who can say, I wish to die, am weary of life? 
Have we not then been acting like those of no understanding? Have we not been madly seizing the very thing which deprives us of what we really want? Not that we ought to banish all thoughts of fighting. If any power approaches us with the front of battle and attempts to invade our rights, our fury and bravery shall be excited more, in proportion as we have more possessions to defend. Let us therefore confine ourselves as much as possible to the cultivation of our own land, for as it is more than sufficient to maintain us, why seek for any other? But perhaps I am not speaking to you wisely. The old Matapules are present. If I am wrong, let them say so. I am but young, and on that account should be unfit to govern, if my mind, like that of the deceased chief, sought not the advice of others. For your loyalty and fidelity towards him, however, I return you my sincere thanks. Finau Fisi, who is present, knows that I consult both him and the Matapules as to matters of government. You cannot therefore say, why do we listen to the prattle of a boy? Recollect, I speak of the sentiments of Doeumu, Uluvalu, Afu, Alo, Fotu, and all the elders of Ava'u. But I again observe that if any among you have possessions at Ha'apai, or are not content with your present situation, now is the only opportunity to depart, for henceforth there shall be no intercourse whatsoever with Ha'apai or Tongatapu. Choose now your places of abode. There are Fiji, Samoa, Tongatapu, Ha'apai, Futuna, and Rotuma, for none shall remain at Ha'afuluhao, but those whose minds agree in keeping a lasting peace. Not that I wish to suppress the courage of any warlike spirit. Behold, the islands of Tongatapu and Fiji are constantly at war. Let him display his courage there. Arise and go to your respective habitations and recollect that tomorrow the canoes depart for Ha'apai. Okay, I don't know if that is uh, the actual words of Moingangongo or just embellishment from um, Mariner as he is documenting his account. But I will tell you this, I am here for the new Fino. And I'm already loving uh, his statesmanship and just uh, the direction that he wants to take Vava'u. So basically, let's break down this speech. Uh, long speech. Basically, he is just telling the people, this is how it's going to be. Um, we are not going to engage in any more war. We are going to be planting and cultivating and developing the agriculture of Vava'u and, and pretty much um, developing Vava'u into something that they can be proud of. And if anybody didn't agree with this new direction, they were invited to hop on the next canoe and they can all go and live in Ha'apai. I was trying to, um, I believe I read in one of the uh, sources that I was uh, in, in my research for the podcast that uh, Finau, this Finau was probably in his 30s. So he was quite young and probably closer to age, uh, closer in age to Mariner. And so... Um, you kind of have a feeling that they had this more of a brotherly relationship and that the dynamics of their relationship was very different from uh, Mariner and um, his father's uh, relationship. Although Finau was young, um, he did have uh, as one of his advisors, Finau Fisi. Finau Fisi is his uncle. He is the half-brother of Finau Ulukalala and um, his mother, I believe, is Fijian. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, according to this document, her name was Meke Meke. And we see that Finau Fisi was a close advisor to his brother, uh, Finau Ulukalala, and he is serving in the same role to the new Finau. There is a really cool entry in Wikipedia. If you just do a search for Vaimalo, it gives a little history about Finau Fisi. So I just want to share some of it uh, just to give us some more context about uh, this awesome man. So in Vava'u, there is a village called Vaimalo. And this was named by uh, Finau Fisi. So um, the village became the sole estate of his only son, Naufahu. And we talked about Naufahu in earlier episodes in the battle uh, over at the Feretoa Fort. So I'm just going to read from this Wikipedia entry. In 1781, right off the coast of Longomapu, it was Finau Fisi and his double hulled canoe called the Talitoa, who met Spaniard explorer Don Francisco Antonio Morel, the first European to discover Vava'u. 
With his supplies depleted and sailing the last three days without any water, it was by luck that he and his crew found the inlet passage to the middle of the main island. In his journal, he wrote of the great size of the ten double-hulled war canoes that encircled his ship as they anchored off the coast of Longomapu. The first thing the captain asked for when Finau Fisi met him was water. Upon understanding his request, Finau Fisi not only gave the explorer and his crew water, but replenished their food supplies, took care, and stayed with them the two weeks they spent in Mava'u. Don Francisco, being grateful for the initial water given to him by Finau Fisi, kept thanking him in Spanish. Gracias agua. Thank you for the water. Thank you for the water. Hence, the Tongan translation and the name of the village is Vai Water. Malo, thank you. Before the passage of the Vava'u Land Acts of 1849 and 1914, that effectively placed Vaimalo under government control, the whole of Vaimalo belonged only to Naufahu and his family. Vaimalo's current general population is made up mainly of Naufahu's immediate descendants, relatives, and friends from Niue, Fiji, Samoa, and Solomon Islands. Now, if you remember correctly, Naufahu absolutely detested Finau Ulukalala, hated him, and was one of the, the chiefs that made it really hard for Ulukalala to conquer Vava'u. And so it was interesting that you have his own father, Finau Fisi, taking the side of Finau Ulukalala, and then Naufahu and some of the Vava'u warriors were on the other side. It was Naufahu and the warrior Pupunu who killed the king's giant chief warrior Siulua, and it was also Naufahu and the warrior Fanafonua who slew the, uh, his father's own uh, twin Fijian chief warriors while fighting with his famous war clubs Pasivulangi and Pasitauke. And unfortunately, Naufahu was one of the victims of the six that were bound up and sunk in the leaky canoes uh, by Fina Ulukalala. After sharing a meal with his crew, the sons of his chiefs and matapulas, his warriors and his priests engaged the people of Ava'u in less formal conversations about cultivating food and rebuilding the agriculture of Ava'u. And he recalled from his youth during the ongoing civil wars of Tongatapu and how the entire island plunged into a dire famine because the people were so afraid to cultivate the land because of raids. Um, and that was so common back in those days where where warriors from opposite uh, enemy camps would come and uh, just slaughter them while they're out working on their farms. And so for a while, there was no food that was growing uh, in Tongatapu, and, uh, and rightfully so. I would be scared as hell too. And during that great famine, he recalled how more men who depended on the chiefs for sustenance died from the famine than the actual lower order of men who were growing the food and supplying chiefs with crops. So it was very common back then to have a designated members of the village or the community or whatever. And their mo uh, main responsibility in the collective is to take care of the growing of all the food crops. And the way this food was distributed back in those days is that uh, the social class that was responsible for the growing of all the food crops would give those food um, to the chiefs and then the chiefs would distribute it to his um, people. And so there were warriors, there were other chiefs, matapules, who depended on the generosity of whoever the high chief is of the village to in turn distribute that food to them. And so it kind of creates this uh, system of dependency where they really depend on the chiefs for sustenance, but then the chiefs don't work the land. They usually have lower uh, people who do that. And so during times of famine, it was usually those people who depended on the generosity of the chiefs. Um, they were the ones who usually died during times of famine because they didn't know how to sustain themselves. And so I'm just really loving uh, this new direction that the new Finau is taking Vava'u in. His whole priority is really uh, to improve the lives of the Vava'u people. But he also warned, you know, his enemies that uh, if they ever tried to invade Vava'u, that they were ready to. So F around and find out. So 20 days goes by after the burial and nothing noteworthy happens. But uh, Mariner did make a note of just uh, some of the funeral attire 
uh, that they were wearing at that time. After 20 days, those uh, who were not related to the deceased、um, Ulukalala were allowed to wear a ngatu underneath their、um, the taovala that you would normally wear for a funeral. A taovala is like,、uh, for those of you that are not familiar,、um, we usually wear、uh, so it's a, it's a smaller form of a mat. Most taovalas are weaved from the leaves of the pandanus tree, and we wear different taovalas for all different occasions. And so for funerals, it's usually a worn out,、uh, tattered、uh, mat. Because the whole intention it, when you're wearing it at a funeral is that、uh, your discomfort is、uh, the least important thing、uh, when it comes to funerals. So, when you're wearing these、uh, tattered mats, it's usually very irritating and very uncomfortable to the skin. And so, if you have to、uh, imagine back in those days, they, don't, they didn't have clothing the way we do today,、uh, but they were allowed to wear a ngatu underneath it to just kind of、um, you know, be that barrier between the skin and the tattered mat. And so, in funerals, to show that you are really mourning, you wear the taovala、uh, without ngatu、uh, inside to protect your skin. And so, Uh, after 20 days, Mariner notes that those who weren't related to Ulukalala were allowed to wear the ngatu underneath their taovalas, but those who were close relations to、uh, Ulukalala or those you know, that are within his immediate circle still wore、uh, their tattered taovala to show that they were still in mourning and also just in respect for somebody、uh, who's ranked so high, such as Ulukalala. Mariner goes on to describe the ritual of Lanu Kilikili.、Uh, Lanu Kilikili is,、um, and they still practice this today, on, although it's only、uh, when it comes to the funeral of highly ranked people,、uh, mostly the royal family or someone、uh, close to you know, ranking that high. But、uh, basically, what it is, is they would get volcanic stones.、Um, And in those days, they would actually source them far and wide throughout、uh, Donga. And they would gather these stones, and they were usually polished and then、uh, rubbed with perfumed oil.、Uh, because the intention is to bury the deceased with the oil stones to filter、um, any kind of foul smells. And so the stones were also used to decorate the grave. And、uh, Mariner talks about this in、uh, great detail, which I'll go into. Um, today, this ritual is kind of modernized. This is why, you, if you go to Tongan funerals, you'll usually see a basket of perfumes next to the casket of the deceased. And so they would you know, dab some of that perfume on the、um, deceased or cologne if it's a man. But you will still see、uh, graves that are decorated with these polished、uh, stones. Today in Tonga, you would usually see this a hundred days after the burial of the deceased, but in Mariner's case,、uh, Ulkalala's case, Mariner reports that it was 20 days actually. So this has changed quite a lot.、Um, and this is what Mariner has to say about it. I now come to speak of the transactions of the 20th day, which concludes the whole ceremony. Early in the morning of this day, all the relations of the deceased chief, together with those who formed his household, And also, the women who were tabooed by having touched his dead body while oiling and preparing it went to the back of the island without any particular order or ceremony to procure a number of flat pebbles, principally white but a few black, for which they made baskets on the spot to carry them in, as before mentioned, when they went to procure the sand. While these they returned to the grave and strewed the inside of the house with the white ones. As also the outside of the Faitoka as a decoration to it. The black pebbles they strewed only upon the white ones, which covered the ground directly over the body, to about the length and breadth of a man in the form of a very eccentric ellipsis. After this, the house over the Faitoka was closed up at both ends with a reed fencing, reaching from the eaves to the ground and at the front and back, with a sort of basket work made of the young branches of the coconut tree. Split and interwoven into a very curious and ornamental way, which remained till the next burial day when they were taken down, and after the conclusion of the ceremony, new ones are put up in the like manner. After the Lanukilikili ritual, a house was built over the Faitoka, and provisions of food were distributed to the important guests and dignitaries, and Gaba was served, of course. 
and afterwards everyone retired to their homes, but they met later in the day for entertainment, wrestling and dancing, and、uh, Mariner specifically mentions that the dancing they were doing that evening was the Meetu Baki, which is the chant that you hear at the beginning of the podcast. This went on into the night, and during intervals of the dances, those who wanted to show their grief put on a display of ritual self-harm, each publicly proclaiming their love and fidelity to the late Ulukalala while bashing their heads with their own clubs. Mariner specifically recalls two boys aged 12 and 14. Among them, two boys about 12, the other about 14 of age, their sons of Matapules, made themselves very conspicuous in this kind of self-infliction. The youngest, in particular, whose father was killed in the service of the late chief during the Great Revolution at Tongatapu, after having given his head two or three hard knocks, ran up to the grave in a fit of enthusiasm and dashing his club with all his force against the ground, exclaimed, "Finau, why should I attempt thus to express my love and fidelity towards you? My wish is that the gods of Pulotu permit me to live long enough to prove my fidelity to your son." He then raised again his club and, running about, bruised and cut his little head in so many places that he was covered with streams of blood. This demonstration on the part of the young hero was thought very highly of by everyone present. Okay, it gets crazier from there because you know if if what if there's one thing you're gonna know about Tongans is that when we are mafana we love to amplify the crazy, and so it continues. The next procession of mourners were the fishermen. These are、uh, specifically Ulukalala's own fishermen, who were so extra and wanted to outdo everyone. And this is what Mariner had to say about them. Actually, before we get into that, they marched into the procession with arrows stabbed through their cheeks, from one side of the face to the other. But that's not all. In one respect, however, they were somewhat singular. That is, in having three arrows. Stuck, stuck through each cheek in a slanting direction, so that while their points came quite through the cheek into the mouth, the other ends went over their shoulders, and were kept in that situation by another arrow, the point of which was tied to the ends of the arrows passing over one shoulder, and the other end to the arrows passing over the other shoulder, as to form a triangle. And with this horrible equipment, they walked around the grave, beating their faces and heads, and as before stated, with their paddles. Or pinching up the skin of their breasts and sticking a spear through it, all this to prove their love and affection for the deceased chief. I'm trying to picture in my mind what this would look like, and I'm actually horrified. The night ended with a grand wrestling match, and that marked the end of the mourning period for the great, the late chief Finau Ulukalala. In the next couple of pages, Mariner reflects on Ulukalala's character and his memories with Ulukalala. And one of the things that he、um, talks about is how he was so impressed with his intelligence, but also recognized that he was very cunning,、um, but very curious.、Uh, his drive and his ambitious mind.、Um, in Mariner's estimation, he felt like Ulukalala could have easily fit in Europe. Uh, fit in in Europe as a formidable、uh, ruler of a European nation. At the time of Mariner in Tonga, there was an increasing、uh, number of Europeans that were also、um, coming to Tonga, either as、uh, crewmen of ships coming through Tonga or whalers or、uh, missionaries. And one of the things that was brilliant about Ulukalala compared, well, depending on how you define brilliance, but compared to Um, other chiefs in Tonga was that Ulukalala really capitalized on the、um, European technology that was brought to the islands, and this completely changed the game of warfare in Tonga. Because prior to the arrival of Mariner, we、uh, learn about you know this big civil war, and that civil war still spilled over into the 1800s. And within these、uh, wars were a series of battles between rival chiefs. At the same time, the power, the spiritual power of the Tuitonga, was becoming more uh, irrelevant uh, socially and politically. And we see with Finau's,、um, you know, through the story of Mariner's account, we see 
we see him more, what's the word, impiety uh, towards the ancestral god. We have accounts of him openly defying the gods and cursing the gods. And he would use foreigners like Mariner or warriors from Fiji or Samoa to commit mass killings on his behalf because in his estimation, they were exempt from the taboos. And so this was his way of bypassing, you know, the cultural taboos and uh, made him really fear, uh, fearsome as a warrior, as a warrior chief in Tonga. Ulgalala definitely lived up to his name, hot-headed, uh, which the origins come from Fiji. That I didn't know. And um, Mariner recounts his uh, temperament at the different times where um, Ulgalala apparently was very self-aware of his... Uh, his temper and um, he had actually arranged with his closest confidants to whenever they see him um, you know uh, if, if if they can see that he is going to have a fit he actually asked them to restrain him so there was usually about six men who would circle Ulukalala when he would when they see that he would have a fit and they would hold him back and subdue him and get him to calm down uh, Mariner then contrasts Ulukalala's temperament with just accounts of like a kinder side of him that he rarely displayed in public. Ulukalala always had Mariner at his side. And so uh, Mariner, I mean, not only just as an adopted son, but Mariner was also a very um, important commodity in this uh, warfare that he was waging to uh, unite all of Tonga because uh, Mariner knew how to operate those guns and he knew how to operate those cannons. And so Mariner got to see a lot of things that um, a lot of the Tongan public would not see uh, because he was so close and intimate behind the scenes. Um, and so we see Mariner just humanize him with just uh, several personal um, experiences that he had with um, Ulukalala. Ulukalala was very protective of him. Um, he recalls an incident where the warriors were interrogating Mariner about um, various objects that they found on the portal print shortly before they um, destroyed it. And so a lot of them held on to some of these trinkets and things that they found on the ship. And they were very curious about it and how it would work. And so they would frequently go to Mariner, you know, present the objects to them and to him and ask him to explain how it works and things like that. And Ulkalala noticed that this really made Mariner feel um, uncomfortable because he was still mourning, um, you know, what happened to his crew. And so it was kind of triggering for him. And so Ulukalala would tell his warriors to leave him alone and knock it off. And they would tell him, you know, but none of those people that died on the Porto Prince were his relations, uh, which is such a Tongan thing to say. Yeah? And Ulukalala would reply to them, uh, they were nonetheless his countrymen. And so uh, Mariner just uh, recalls how Ulukalala from a young age, uh, shortly after he was taken off the Porto Prince, that he was just really protective of him. Um, and uh, there was that one incident that I shared in an earlier podcast of how uh, he lamented um, how Mariner was so far away from his homeland and that his parents must be just grieving and longing for him. He then gives us a uh, physical description of him for the first time. So this is what we know about Finau Ulukalala according to Mariner. Uh, Finau, the sole and arbitrary monarch of Bava'u and the Ha'apai Islands, was in stature 6 feet and 2 inches, in bulk and strength, stout and muscular, his head erect and bold, his shoulders broad and well-made, his limbs well set, strong and graceful in action. His body not corpulent but muscular, his hair of a jet black and curly, yet agreeably so without being woolly, his forehead remarkably high, his brow bold and intelligent, with a little austerity, his eyes large and penetrating, yet joined to an expression of mildness, his nose aquiline and large, his lips well made and expressive, his teeth remarkably large, white and regular his lower jaw rather prominent, his cheekbones also rather prominent compared with those of Europeans. All his features were well-developed and declared a strong and energetic mind. With that sort of intellectual expression, which belongs not so much to the sage as to the warlike chieftain, ambition sat high on his front and guided all his energies. 
His deep and penetrating eyes and his firm and masculine deportment, while they inspire his adherents with confidence, struck awe to the minds of conspirators. His actions were, for the most part, steady and determined, and directed to some well-studied purpose. His resolve was fate, and those who obeyed him with reluctance trembled, not without reason. He appeared almost constantly in deep thought and did not often smile. When he spoke in matters of some importance, it was not without first holding up the balance in his mind to weigh well what he had to say. Persuasion hung upon his lip, and the flow of his eloquence was such that many of his enemies were afraid to listen to him, lest they should be led to view the subject in a light prejudicial to their interests. His voice was loud, not harsh but mellow, and his pronunciation remarkably distinct. When he laughed, which was not tri on trifling occasions, it was so loud as to be heard an incredible distance, and with a very strange noise preceding it, as if he were hollowing after somebody a long way off, and the same kind of noise as he always made when in passion. And this was very peculiar to him. When in his house, however, giving orders about his domestic arrangements, his voice was uncommonly mild and very low. The new Ulukalala, Finao Ulukalala Muengangongo III, was very different uh, from his father. Mariner describes him as having an intellect of a very superior mind. He had no political ambition. He was an admirer of the arts and quite the philosopher. And his first priority was the happiness and the well-being of his people. His uncle, who was his uh, personal advisor, Finaufisi, proposed that they rebuild a uh, Feletoa fortress to serve as the primary residence for all of his chiefs and all of the, his warriors. Um, and their wives and families. But the other reason too is so that they can keep a close eye on them so that if they uh, decide to um, you know, rebel and start an uprising, they could easily be just squashed right there within the fort. So all of his chiefs and warriors agreed to it, but they were concerned about if they were um, able to you know, go visit their plantations and things like that. And so uh, they were allowed to visit their plantations and work it during the day and then they would find a safe refuge in the fortress at night. So it's a win-win it's a for everyone. There was an incident that happened. I was going to leave it out, but um, maybe I'll just share it because I think it's uh, one of those things that just gives us insight into, you know, Tongan culture and society at that time. But apparently uh, Funaki, this was the wife of Finaufisi, had been having dreams about Ulukalala. And in these dreams, um, he would visit her and he was uh, full of disappointment. Um, and his spirit was agitated and he could not rest in Pulotu. And Pulotu is where um, the belief in, uh, in Tonga is after a only chiefs. If you are a commoner, you do not go to Pulotu. You just go back to the soil from where you came. But if you were a chief or somebody of high rank, you would go to Pulotu, the underworld. And so um, the spirit of Fina was very agitated while he was in Pulotu. And um, asking Funaki why they have allowed evil designed persons, is, is the word, uh, the phrase that Mariner uses, in Vava'u who are scheming, uh, scheming against his son. The interesting thing about Funaki too is that Mariner noticed that she was paying a lot of visits to, um, to the Faitoka, to Ulukalala's Faitoka, and she would go there and like weep and, you know, and weed it and like take care of it. And doing things that were above, beyond, and beyond uh, the duties of Finau's actual wives. This is the wife of Finau Fisi. And so, I'm reading this and I'm suspecting that there is like something going on, right? And sure enough, I read in, in the back of Mariner's book, he has like, breaks down just all the different uh, rituals and experiences of, of things that he witnessed in Tonga. Just provides more details about them. And he mentions in that part of the book that he suspects that they were having wah wah an affair. Jerry, 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 Jerry. 
Anyway, so back to our story. So they relayed this dream to Ulukalala's principal wife, whose name was Moungatupo. And Moungatupo went and searched the uh, Faitoka for a Tatao charm. And so I've never heard of this before, I had to look it up. But apparently, a Tatao charm is when a portion of um, clothing or any kind, something that belonged to an inferior relation of the deceased, would be placed in the Faitoka. Okay, and so what would happen is that what they would hope by doing that is that that person would catch some kind of illness and eventually would die. And so they found strips of ngatu and a wreath of flowers which belonged to one of Ulukalala's wives that somebody had placed on his grave. And so Mariner noticed that everyone was just like totally, you know, crazy and stirred up into a frenzy. But Finau, he remained cool and collected. And that was usually his demeanor when things like that happened. He just was chill. Unlike his father who required six of his men to like hold him back and calm him down. And while he remained cool, uh, Mariner stated that he, behind the scenes, he was very like actively uh, looking out and planning and preparing for anything that could happen. And so Mariner notes that that was his usual approach. He was very calm, very collected, but at the same time, uh, you know, he was calculating and preparing for just anything, the worst that can happen. And in this particular situation, by remaining cool, he wanted any potential conspirators to think that, you know, he's dropped his guard and, and in that process, it would expose them and then he would deal with them. But uh, fortunately, nothing came of that situation, just a bunch of uh, busy bodies with nothing to do. I guess that's what happens when you're not at war. You are idle and you just have to make up things. You know, kind of like today. But now we have social media. And so in some respects, we're still subjected to a lot of your bullshit. Like, did you see those two Tongan ladies at Taukape on TikTok? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Anyway, so the Feletoa fortress was completely restored. And a canoe arrived from Hapai. And on this canoe was a chief for the Tuitonga. His name was Tongamana. And he was uh, on an errand from uh, Finau's uncle Tupotoa, who was the Tuihaapai. And he wanted to know how uh, he wanted to deal with the Inasi. Because the Inasi, if you remember correctly from previous episodes, it was uh, the tribute to the Tuitonga. And the Tuitonga at this time just happened to be living in Mabau. And so um, the tributes had to come from Haapai and Tupotoa, which was Finau's uncle, the half-brother of his father, uh, wanted to know what what are the instructions for the Inasi? Where should I send it to? And the only reason why he was asking was because of the policy that Finau imposed when he became the new uh, Ulukalala, is that he wanted nothing to do with Haapai or Tongatapu. Tongamana and everyone on his canoe were donned in the traditional Taovala and also wearing the reefs of the Ifi trees, which is a... Uh, sign of submission in Tongan culture um, and stating their intention was just purely religious they were um, there to just find out what to do with the Inasi and so Finau allowed them to disembark and come on shore uh, they presented themselves first uh, then they had some kava to various houses uh, consecrated to different gods and then they met with Finau uh, there was also an additional request from uh, Tupotoa. He wanted to pay his final respects to his brother, Ulukalala. Um, they had the same mother, Ulukilupetea. And Finau, after consulting with his advisors, uh, they uh, came together and made the decision that Tupotoa was allowed to send the Inasi, provided that it was only Tongamana's canoe that was sent, and that his canoe was allowed to come and go as long as it was minimally crude. And so just the bare essential crew and nobody else. And if that um, agreement was violated, he was not allowed to enter Baba'u waters ever again. And so we can kind of foresee that, the uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, the waning um, significance of the Tuitonga for even Finau to even agree to like, if you don't follow my rules, we're just gonna reject your Inasi which is completely unheard of just, you know, uh, maybe centuries before or just century or even just like 20, 30 years before that. The decision for Tupotoa was delayed for another time. Um, they didn't give him an answer about him wanting to visit Ulukalala, but Tongamana was, uh, he departed to Hapai to give the news to Tupotoa. 
And when Dupotoa received that news, he ordered all the people of Ha'apai to gather their tributes for the Inasi. Uh, Tofua, which is uh, the volcanic island just off of Ha'apai, is the Tuitonga residence. And so, um, of course, his people there wanted to also uh, include their portion of the tribute, which was uh, so much um, quantity that they necessitated the use of a second canoe, which was completely against the instructions that Finau gave Tongamana. So they're already not play, uh, obeying the rules. And so uh, two canoes returned to Vava'u with the Inasi. And of course, the Vava'u people, you know, being from Vava'u, I can totally understand this because uh, we're just so extra over there. They saw two canoes coming and of course they threw a fit. Like, what What the hell is there? Why is there two canoes? There should have been only one. And so there was a big commotion, and of course they went to Finau and reported to Finau that they see two canoes coming, and so they all gather to receive them, see like what's going on. However, Finau, seeing that the second canoe was from Tofua and understanding that the Tuitonga, this was his residence, and um, and also just to avoid any public appearances of sacrilege, he allowed the canoe to land on the condition that the crew on board which uh, they were all formidable warriors in their own right, were not allowed to leave the canoe. Finau proclaimed to the people in Vava'u that anyone in Vava'u who wished to reside in Ha'apai, that this was their chance, and he would allow them to board Dongamana's canoe, but they would never be allowed to come back to Vava'u, but nobody stepped up to take on the offer. After the Inasi, Dongamana was allowed to bring Tupoto'a and any of his chiefs that he wished to accompany him, um, provided that they only stayed in Vava'u for just one day to do what it is they needed to do, and then they have to hurry up and go back to Ha'apai. So Tongamana returned to Ha'apai, and uh, Finau sent out all of his uh, warriors to be sentries throughout Vava'u to be on the lookout for Tupoto'a's canoe. And um, soon enough, three canoes appeared, and Finau sent out a welcoming crew with specific instructions that Tupotoa and his people have to get off their canoes and they would um, usher them back ashore. Tupotoa and all 60 of his warriors were all dressed in a taovala and also the wreath of the ifi tree and then they were taken to the fort in Feretoa. They were followed by uh, several boys who were carrying their weapons and they proceeded to Ulukalala's grave, sat before it with their heads bowed Tupotoa then stood up and he took a club from one of the boys and bashed himself over the head and busted it open, calling out to Ulkala to witness his love and fidelity and that he had the same sentiments of their relationship towards his son, Finau, and how he wished for a perfect and friendly understanding between Ha'apai and the Vava'u people. Tupotoa's people then followed in the same manner. Um, they bashed their heads with their own clubs. Some of them also speared their cheeks with arrows and also their thighs and breasts, uh, proclaiming their love and f fidelity to Ulukalala. Um, afterwards, they departed to Finau's residence. And, and of course, they had Gava. Uh, Finau and his uncles, Tupotoa and Finau Fisi, met. And uh, in this meeting, Tupotoa wished to be a tributary to Vava'u. Uh, but remember, Tupotoa was the one who killed Tuponiwa, and the people of Ava'u were still feeling very salty about that. And so uh, this uh, concerned uh, Finau, and he didn't think this was a good idea because the people of Ava'u still hate his guts. Finau also told Tupotoa that they didn't need the, their tributary because Vava'u's plantations were like up and running and they had more than enough food to sustain uh, the people of Ava'u. However, he still allowed Dupotoa uh, to send the Inasi um, because uh, it was religious. Mariner noted that Dupotoa was uh, deeply hurt by that his offer was rejected by his nephew and his pride hurt by uh, the rejections from someone so young and inexperienced was the word that the words that uh, Mariner used. Um, but he accepted Finau's decision and he cried. So this was a very uh, touching moment that Mariner um, shares with us. Uh, he cried, uh, tears ran down his cheek, influenced by the feelings of his heart, for he had a great respect for the late Hao, a real friendship for him, and a sincere regret for his loss. And later that evening, uh, before departing for Ha'apai, Dupoto'a performed the ceremony of Moimoe to his nephew Finau. 
Mariner、uh, describes the moi moi. The moi moi is kind of a salute paid to the greatest chief present, and consists in bowing the head while sitting cross-legged before him, so that the forehead touches the sole of the chief's foot, who sits in a like manner, and then touching the sole of the same foot, which may be either the right or the left, first with a palm and then with the back of each hand. The ceremony is also performed by persons who may have accidentally touched any part of a superior chief's person, or anything whatever belonging to him. And unless this ceremony is performed after such contact, they cannot eat without danger, as they suppose of swelling up and dying. And so this really just、uh, is a significant moment because、uh, for Tupoutoa to perform the moe moe to his nephew really shows that、um, he is superior to his uncle in rank. Mariner goes on to mention that Tupotoa was so impressed with the restored Feletoa fortress,、um, de- declaring that he's never seen anything like it before, not even in Fiji, where he lived and where he was a warrior for several years. So a month has passed since、uh, Tupotoa last visited Vavau. And the Vavau fishermen noticed a canoe coming from the direction of Haapai and immediately reported it to Finau. On the canoe was one of Finau's principal warriors. His name is Lolohea Gaukefu and his two brothers, who were in、um, they were in Haapai visiting their father, and they brought intelligence that Dupotoa was gathering up all his forces and preparing his canoes, and so they immediately departed、um, Haapai. And、uh, made flight to Vavau to report what was going on. Mariner mentions also that、um, it was customary in Tonga that, regardless of、uh, who you fight for in one of these wars in Tonga,、um, if you just happen to be at a place. So in the case with、uh, Lolohea Kaukefu and his brothers, they were in Hapai visiting their sick father. But they were warriors of Vavau.、Um, of course, they were still allowed to come visit、um, their father. But according to custom, if there is a war, you fight with whatever,、uh, wherever you're at. And so, if something was to happen between、uh, the people of Papai and if Tupotoa was really、uh, planning to go and、um, invade Vavau, Lolohea Kaukefu and his brothers would then have to fight on his side. And so they didn't want to fight against their own countrymen, and this is why they hurry up and they left Hapai to report to Finau what was going on.、Uh, Finau was confident that Vavau was more than adequately fortified to withstand whatever、um, if the Potoa was planning to come and invade Vavau. So、um, they had more guns, they had more cannons, they also had more shot,、uh, they also had Mariner there to show them,、uh, who taught them all how to use it. So. Uh, so Fina wasn't didn't sweat it at all. However,、um, nothing happened. So time went by. No canoes came from Haapai, and、uh, Tongamana. However,、um, shortly after that, Tongamana arrived in Vavau for other reasons. But、uh, he then confirmed that no, Tupotoa was not planning to、uh, bring his warriors and to invade Vavau. But he was actually heading the other direction to Tongatapu. And there's a whole other side story to that too.、Uh, Tupotoa went to Vavau to aid、um, some of the chiefs there in in, all, in the wars that were happening in Tongatapu. Around that same time, there was a heavy storm of thunder and lightning that hit Vavau, and in Tongan custom, this usually signifies some kind of、um, misfortune or calamity that's going to happen. And so,、um, you know, people go crazy and they think all kinds of ideas and. During this time, Mariner、um, noted that just、uh, people were thinking all kinds of ideas, such as、uh, this is punishment from the gods for something like neglecting a religious ritual or something similar. The Tuitonga,、uh, though not mentioned by name、uh, by Mariner, was、uh, Tuitonga Fuanunuyava. He was the son of Pau and Tupo Moheofo.、Um, we mentioned them in previous. Uh, episodes. This,、um, they were the central figures in the civil war that was happening over the Tuikanokpolu、uh, succession.、Um, Fuanunuyaba was married to one of Ulukalala's daughters by the name of Popua, and this is why he resided in、uh, Vavau and why the people of Haapai were bringing the tributes over for the Inasi because that's where he was based. But the Tuitonga was actually sick. 
and he eventually passed away. But、um, the heavy storm of thunder and lightning,、uh, this is、uh, the people of Ava'u believe that this signified his、um, eventual、uh, ending. And so, of course, when things like this happen with such an important figure in Tongan culture, ritual violence would often follow. And so, Mariner doesn't go into、um, great detail about what he saw because he said it's pretty much the same thing he's described before、uh, ritual sacrifice.、Um, he witnessed the strangulation of four children,、um, people cutting their fingers,、uh, invocations to the gods, and And even taking the body of the Tuitonga to the kitchen area where food is prepared, because this is like apparently a sign of submission and humiliation. Because if you remember,、um, Fina Ukalala didn't really think highly of、uh, people who worked the kitchen and who cooked his food. Apparently, this was a very common thing in Tongan culture at the time.、Um, Dukuaho was、uh, famously known for. Removing、uh, the arms of his kitchen staff. Like he had their, I can't remember if it was the left or the right arm completely amputated just to mark who they are and that so that people know they belong to him. And so, people who work in the kitchen, you are not thought、uh, highly of, which is really funny because today it seems like everything in our Tongan culture is.、Um, You know, based around the kitchen and food. And so, and people who cook and prepare food are very highly、uh, regarded. But、um, this, when they did this act of taking the Tuitonga's body to the kitchen,、um, this is like a sign of submission and humiliation and、um, to show the gods that, you know,、uh, please have mercy. But it didn't work because eventually, Um, and this went on for a span of six weeks.、Um, Tuitonga Fuanunuyaba eventually passed away. Six weeks after the Tuitonga was buried, Finau was finally prepared to perform the ritual of Tuki for his own father because he never did it before.、Uh, he describes, he, earlier in this episode, he talks about it and you know, Mariner describes everyone else doing it, but Finau never did it.、Um, and he opted to do it privately. And so he had just a small. A number of his own trusted people to accompany him to do this ritual of Duki for his father, Ulukalala. And as they were preparing to do this ritual, Mariner accidentally sneezed. And in Tongan culture, this is such a bad thing, especially right before this、uh, important ritual, because it's a bad omen. And so Fina was so angry, and he turned to Mariner and he said to him, Strike your god in Tongan. And demanded to know why was he even there. So I'm assuming he wasn't a part of the, the invite. He didn't get the invite, or he was. Anyway, told him why was he there. He was so angry at him. And Mariner said to him, Your father would not have asked me that question. And I'm surprised that you are so much unlike him as to believe in such superstitious nonsense. This was too much for him to bear, particularly before so many of his men. And snatching up a club that lay near him, he would have knocked out my brains. If some of the men present had not pushed me out of the house while the rest held Finau. Upon this, I wished him goodbye, Beckett Nofoa, is what he said to him, and said that if he wanted me, he might send for me, adding that I did not know before that my presence was so disagreeable. Several of Finau's warriors quickly rushed him out of the house before Finau did something he would regret. A discussion was held about what just happened, and they all mutually agreed that because Mariner was a foreigner, He follows a different god, and his sneezing was unintentional and harmless. And after rationalizing any potential consequence from that sneeze, they proceeded to the Tuitonga's grave and bashed themselves silly over the head with their own weapons. And Finau opted for a club lined with shark teeth, so it was more like a saw, and he injured himself so badly that he lost so much blood, and he fainted on the way back home. Mariner retired to his plantation and isolated himself from Finau and everyone else. And a few hours later, a messenger from his、uh, adopted mother, Mafihape, arrived and,、uh, with a message from her assuring his safety and that、uh, Finau was actually really、uh, feeling sorrowful and regret for、uh, the way that he acted before. And so she advised him,、uh, she advised、uh, Mariner just to ignore him. And 
make him come to him and apologize to him face to face. And so Mariner did this for 10 days, actually. He uh, rejected all of his messengers um, and even uh, sh- threatening to shoot one um, if they ever come with him. Uh, come over with another message from Finau, and that Finau is to come over and so they can have a face to face conversation about what happened. Mariner writes, and accordingly, one morning he entered my house and having awakened me, saluted me in the kindest and most affectionate manner, begged my pardon for his too hasty conduct and wept abundantly. After this period, we were inseparable friends. During this reconciliation, Finau explained to me the cause of his unseasonable rage against him for sneezing. It was not that he had any superstitious idea of it as a bad omen, but that it might have this effect upon the minds of his men and thus put off his intended ceremony. And just like that, their friendship was repaired. Yay! Um, Finau came to the determination that the Tuitonga was no longer socially relevant after his passing. And so he actually put a stop to the Inasi. And so this is just one of the significant um, political decisions that he made. Mariner writes, For he conceived that there was very little public utility in what was supposed to be the divine authority of Tuitonga, but that it was, on the contrary, a great and useless expense to the people. This measure, as may be imagined, did not prove very objectionable to the wishes of the multitude, as it relieved them from the Inasi, a very heavy tax, and in times of scarcity and, of course, extremely oppressive. In regards to the religious objections, which one might suppose would be started against the endeavor to set aside an institution so ancient and so venerable and so sacred as that of the Tuitonga's divine authority, it must be noticed that the island of Tongatapu had for many years been deprived of the power, presence, and the influence of the Tuitonga owing to its political situation, and notwithstanding appeared in the eyes of Finau and all of his chiefs, warriors, and subjects to be not less favored with the bounties of heaven and of nature than the other islands, excepting the mischief and destruction which arose from human passion and disturbances. And if Tongatapu could cease without this divine chief, why would not Vava'u or any other island? This strong argument, growing still stronger upon reflection, brought the chiefs, Matapules, and older members of society to the resolution that the Tuitonga was no use at all, and the people themselves ever willing to fall into measures that greatly promote their interests, notwithstanding a few religious scruples, very soon came to be of the same opinion too. Ending the Inasi would also mean a permanent cutoff of Ha'apai and Tongamana was forbidden to return to Vava'u ever again, as there was no need for uh, tributes to be brought to the Tuitonga. Mafihape, uh, this was uh, Mariner's adopted mother, uh, she wished to return to Ha'apai to care for her sick father, and this wish was granted by Finau, um, who promised her that her, her father, actually he made the promise to her father that she could return to him. Um, she was forbidden, however, to take her attendance. Uh, Mariner recorded that they were quite beautiful women, perhaps the most beautiful women in all of Ava'u. And of course, naturally, they would want to follow their mistress to Ha'apai. And Fina was worried that this would cause some of his own men to leave Ava'u. And so uh, they concocted a plan, um, Finau and Mafihape. Uh, So the plan was that she would take two of her closest attendants, but on the day of her departure, she would, um, of course, she would go to the canoe with all of them. Mariner was to get in the way and stop the rest of uh, the attendants from getting on the canoe. And so this is exactly what happened. Uh, Mafihape on that day uh, was going towards the canoe. She had her two closest attendants with her. Uh, Mariner stepped in and stopped the rest from going. He had his musket with him and warned them that they should not, uh, they were not allowed to go to Ha'apai. Finau, having hearing the commotion, came down to the beach to see what was going on. And of course, this was all a part of the plan. One of the warriors, his name is Talo, said to uh, Finau, We have all agreed to lose our lives rather than suffer these women, for whom we have so often fought, to take leave of us forever. There is good reason to suppose that we shall soon be invaded by the people of Ha'apai. Are we to suffer some of the finest of our women to go over to the men who will shortly become our enemies? 
those women the sight and recollection of whom have so often cheered our hearts in times of danger, have enabled us to meet the bravest and the fiercest enemies, and to put them to the rout. If our women are to be sent away, sent also the guns, the powder, and all our spears, our clubs, and our bows and arrows, and every weapon of defense. With the departure of the women, our wish to live departs also, for then we shall have nothing left worth protecting, and having no motive to defend ourselves, it matters little how we die. Finau upon this was obliged to explain to Tongamana the necessity of yielding to the sentiments of these young chiefs to prevent the discontent and disturbance which might otherwise take place. The canoe was now ordered to leave Aba'u for the last time and never more to return, for if she or any other canoe should again make her appearance from Ha'apai, her approach would be considered hostile and proper measures would be accordingly adopted. At this moment, the women on the beach earnestly petitioned Finau to be allowed to take their last farewell to their dear and beloved mistress, which on being agreed to, nearly two hours were taken up in this affecting scene. Oh, the drama. Can you imagine just uh, that? how emotional that would be? Mafihape's father is Tuipulotu Matapule, a son of Mumui, the twelfth uh, Tuikanokpolu, and her mother's father was Tuihalafatai, the ninth Tuikanokpolu. So she herself is a very uh, highly ranked woman. There's some other incidents that um, Mariner mentions. There's an incident with Hala Api Api and this uh, Talo that I just mentioned uh, previously. Um, I won't go into it too much because it doesn't add much to the story. But if you recall, Hala Api Api is. Uh, he's a little, um, I think the best word would be um, unpredictable. He's very unpredictable. And so anyway, that's a whole other story. Read the book um, and you can find out more about that information. But aside from that, there is another incident of just uh, canoes from Hapai arriving in Tonga. And of course, they were dealt with. Uh, but in one of those incidences, uh, Mariner received a wound to the knee from a slingshot, a stone hurled from a slingshot and so aside from that nothing really happened nothing exciting two months had transpired and during this time of peace mariner was quite fond of taking fishing excursions to the other uh, um, outer islands and so one day he is out uh, on one of these fishing trips and lo and behold he looks over to the western horizon of Avau and he sees a sail of a European vessel and we will end this episode there. So thank you all for listening to episode 20 and we will catch you in the next episode.